your sensei. Turn, kneel. Johnny, you're a creeper! Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? No sensei. No mercy. V-Lifers, how are we? Praise God. We made it. This is uh, the last and final week of our series on spiritual warfare uh, called Fight for Your Lives. And uh, I'm just going to be honest, this week has been a battle. I don't know if any of you have felt that in your own personal lives, but uh, we serve a living God who never sleeps nor slumbers. We can take heart and comfort in that. God is always with us, watching over us, and uh, Scripture says that when we enter into trouble, trials, or temptation, that He provides a way of escape. So God is actively involved in everything that we encounter. And uh, just to kind of give you some information we found out this morning, again, the enemy likes to stir up uh, strife in your life by bringing challenges, especially those that you didn't really foresee. And uh, to catch you off guard, uh, this morning we found out that the high school is actually closing off their entire second floor. So they're not going to be using it at all. They're beginning to wall up the stairwells, and they're minimizing. So that means all of the extra rooms that they had available down here are now going to be occupied by teachers and students, which then presents a challenge for us with our meeting space. And so uh, we are already had this scheduled for about two months now, a uh, meeting with our leadership team tomorrow night. But just be in prayer for us that God would... Uh, um, lead us in a way that to, how do we can meet these challenges. One, um, how we can w- work with the school and maintain a healthy relationship. And two, um, how God is going to lead us to modify our ministries because as you know, things change and, and uh, places we were using become no longer available and vice versa, that's going to have to cause us to be flexible and uh, maybe re- change or rethink how we've been doing some things. So please be in prayer for that so that the enemy can't use this as a way to bring disruption and strife within the body because he'll use anything. You know, somebody that's coming and sat in the same seat every, every week, if somebody puked on that during the week and there's a, you know, a strip of tape across that says, do not sit, and they see their seat's not available, that could be all it takes for somebody to just have a bad day the rest of the day. So we don't want the enemy to be at work in our lives and, and use that and his work in our lives to uh, put an end to or stifle what God is doing here at Vertical Life Church. Um, Again, this is the last week of this series, Fight for Your Life. And this week, uh, the title of this message is simply called Echelon. Somebody say Echelon. Echelon. I'm sure you use this every day in your common conversation, right? Now, Echelon is kind of an old-fashioned word. According to Google, it's a French word. And uh, it literally means a rung of a ladder, a rung of a ladder, but it was used to refer uh, in its original concept to a military uh, term. It was confined to military use to refer to a step-like pattern or formation for troops. Uh, each troop in the formation, they would be perfectly positioned to advance in a flank-like pattern. So if you can imagine a triangle, they were advancing in a flank-like pattern, not only to confront the enemy force, but also to overwhelm the enemy forces, as they were able to almost surround them in this echelon formation. And uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. And Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? 
And of course, they kind of go through the town gossip and all the different things people are saying. And, uh, and so finally, he gets to Peter, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. That literally means pebble. Like, you're a, you're a piece of stone. But he says something very significant. He says, upon this rock, that is a, this boulder, this foundation, I will build my church. What was the rock? It was the statement Peter had just declared. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That truth is what Jesus was about to build his church upon. And he says, as he builds his church, here is a truth. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. That is a promise. Jesus is telling Peter that the church he's about to build on that very statement that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, is going to be structured in such a way that not only will it stand against the attacks and schemes of the enemy, but it's going to overwhelm the enemy in glorious victory. When Jesus says the gates of hell will not conquer it, he's using military language. That means the church was not meant to be a passive church, but a militant church. When I say militant church, I don't mean we all need to start stockpiling arms and ammunition and, and create bunkers for doomsday and, and all this stuff. I'm not referring to that. No, because we don't wage war the way humans do. We don't wage the fleshly wars of this world. We don't use weapons that this world would deem necessary for battle. No, we use God's mighty weapons. Weapons that have the power to tear down strongholds and overthrow the works of the enemy. Last week we talked about self-defense and the importance of waging war against the enemy in your own personal life. We talked about the techniques that we need to implement in our lives to walk and break free from the strongholds in our own life. And these things are vitally important for us as a church. But even though we have these tools and we have these things that have laid out for our personal life, the walk through independently with our relationship with God, God has placed us in his echelon. He has placed us in the ranks of the church perfectly positioning each and every one of us in this formation to not only stand against the enemy, but to overwhelm and overrun the enemy forces. Again, the echelon is a triangular pattern where each row is in sync and in communication with one another. When one uh, person in the, in the flank becomes uh, in trouble, when one becomes out of sync or under enemy fire, they can communicate and rotate so that the forces can uh, back up and defend each other so that they can not be overwhelmed through the attack. And see, God has called us not to be in battle singularly. We all have personal struggles. We all have personal battles. The Christian, however, is not meant to fight this Christian battle alone. We're not to be in isolation. We are not a one-man army. We are called to fight in a military family. We are meant to fight and watch out for each other, to work to free each other from the attacks of the enemy. In the book of Jude, Jude chapter, or there's only one chapter in Jude, verses 20 and 23 of Jude, here's what Jude writes to the church. He says, but you are dear friends. You must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy too to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. It is not just vital that we wage this war in our personal lives, that we walk filled up with God's Holy Spirit so that we can pray and, if, and, uh, and see God in our own way. But God encourages us to be mindful of others in the church so that we can pray faith-filled prayers that can move mountains when people are struggling, so we can encourage each other to stand strong in the battle, even intervene on behalf of those who feel like they're about to be overrun. Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Paul to the church of Galatia, he says this. He says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I love that verse. 
But what Paul says here that's significant, he says Christ has a law, and that law that Christ has given is rooted in one thing. It's rooted in love. It's rooted in love. And he's placed us in the ranks of the church so that we can love each other through our struggles. Now, part of loving one another is not judging each other for our mistakes or situations or looking down on one another because of the things that we've done or neglecting each other and avoiding each other because there's some tension now that I feel awkward because I found something out about you I didn't know previously. No, it's about giving grace and compassion to those who are struggling, who are in need as you share the load. And as we share the load, we enable each other to begin the journey of deliverance. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 17, the writer of Hebrews says, work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward he wanted his father's blessing but was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. See, this is an admonition from the writer of Hebrews to the church that we are to be proactive in our love. See, as modern American Christians, we have this tendency or this personal philosophy that I've seen even in my own life, all throughout my church background. I grew up in church. I was in a minister's family. I've attended and been a part of many different churches. But what it seems that for, for most of us in our different backgrounds, that church life has kind of fostered this personal philosophy that, number one, my problems are no one else's business. Number two, I don't need nor want anyone to get involved in my issues. And number three, don't bother me with your problems. That seems to be the personal philosophy that we've adopted in the corporate big C church. But the writer of Hebrews here warns that when we or someone else is caught up in a bondage, he calls this a root of bitterness or a poisonous root that begins to infect their entire life, that it will not only just afflict the person that has the root of bitterness, but it will corrupt many. When unforgiveness or anger or hatred, tension, animosity, bitterness, strife, drama, depression, anxiety, loneliness, etc., when these negative attitudes are left to permeate in the church because they're not addressed or they're not worked through, it creates an opening in the church's defenses for Satan to come in and attack. And sometimes we, under the deception and influence of our enemy, can make poor choices when we leave these hurts unaddressed. Poor choices that could forever change the course of our lives and the lives of others. Choices that begin with attitudes. The writer of Hebrews talks about Esau who literally traded his birthright for a cup of soup. Esau was Jacob's older brother and Esau was the firstborn and he stood to receive the blessing of his father. Typically in this this culture, the father would bless the firstborn son. He would inherit the, the family name and the wealth and he would become then the patriarch of the family. This was what was due Esau. But because of an agreement he made with Jacob and some kind of sneaky ways that Jacob kind of swindled his way into receiving the blessing from his father, everything was stripped of Esau. And I heard a pastor one time talk about this story, and he said, if you read the Bible, oftentimes you'll hear God mentioned. And when God is mentioned, he's referred to as the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the younger son. He was not expected to receive the birthright. But because of one attitude, because of one decision, Jacob received the blessing. Esau forfeited the right to have an eternal legacy where the scriptures could say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But because of one attitude, one root of bitterness, one deception, one action, he forfeited the entire thing. And this is why we need each other. We need each other not to be fighting with one another, but to be proactively fighting for one another. Me for you and you for me. 
And so the question is, is how does the church do this? How do we fight? We know we're in the spiritual battle. We're waging war against spirits, against principalities and powers and, and, and rulers of the unseen world. How do we wage this war? How do we fight for each other? We know how to fight for ourselves, but now how do we fight for each other? And we've already seen the scriptures declare we're to bear each other's burdens. We're to pray with each other, encourage each other. But something more specifically. As an echelon, as a battle group, each person is given a rank and is given a position and a specific job to do. And this is vital for us to understand. As each member of the battalion fulfills its duty, then the echelon can be successful in its mission. The, the battle group moves appropriately. It attacks appropriately. It, it is able to achieve its, uh, its mission orders. And the same is true for the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, that something magical is going to happen, something miraculous, that they'd receive power, power to become the witnesses from on high. And as we understand this, and we talked about this in uh, the message called Power in this series, that we have received the Holy Spirit, we have received this power to do something very unique and something miraculous for Christ. And Paul, to the uh, church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he begins to go into detail about what these, um, how this power manifests in the life of the church. We're going to begin reading in... Uh, verse 4, I believe. My uh, tablet's wigging out here. We're talking about attack. I guess the enemy doesn't want us to uh, discuss this today. Um, but beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it's in verse 4. Come on. We get those on the screen. This is there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to one another, and then someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gifts each person should have. This is the rank, the position that God has given the church. Every person has a place. Every person has a gift through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's given us these various abilities and placed us in various ranks in the church. So each of us fulfilling our position in the formation as a well-oiled machine will be able to face any adversity the enemy can throw, through a, throw at us. And understanding the importance of these gifts and how God uses them to equip the church for battle is vitally important. See, Paul, to the church of Corinth here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as he's describing these gifts, he also says we are to seek earnestly the spiritual gifts that are given by the Lord, that we should passionately pursue them for the good of the church. But to our detriment, and, and historically, many mainline denominations and churches have almost programmed out of their services the ability for the Holy Spirit to still operate among the people, for God to raise people up in their gifting and use them to equip and benefit and encourage the body. And we've kind of tailored our services to, to surround like maybe one or two gifts as if the gift of teaching is the only gift the church needs. See, a pastor cannot fulfill every spiritual gift. He cannot fulfill every place in the church. He is one man. If the entire church and the health of the entire church is solely relying on one man and one gift, we're in a lot of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. That's too big a burden for anyone to bear. The gift of teaching is vitally important to the health of the church, but is not the only important gift. And Paul is telling the Corinthians in this chapter in relation to how the church also mirrors the human body that there are many important gifts in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 23 through 26. He says, In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. 
And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts that do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. In other words, as Paul's talking about these gifts that were given to strengthen and equip the church, the most prominent gifts are not necessarily the most necessary or the most important. They're not necessarily the most needed gifts. And we would talk about the most prominent gifts being like teaching or, or, or speaking and, and, and the like, leadership. It says and we don't necessarily or we don't have folks operating in the lesser prominent gifts if we don't have what we would call these lesser gifts, not because they're lesser of importance, because they're not as readily seen as the more prominent gifts. If we don't have those operating in those gifts, then the body becomes deficient and sick and we all become affected. Paul talks about those parts of the body that are less dignified. Those are the ones that we clothe and protect, the ones that we give special care. And I'm, I don't know, this is the way my mind works as I'm thinking about the human body and the less dignified parts of the body that we clothe. And I was just thinking, you know, what if humankind did not have reproductive organs? In relation to the church, as he's talking about the body and the less dignified parts, I mean, in my mind, we don't go around like, with our stuff on display, right? Or at least we shouldn't. If you do, then come see me after church. We need to have some counseling, you know, because that, that's just not right. But, but here's talking about the most delicate, the most undignified parts we clothe and we protect. And we don't walk around with our stuff hanging out. You know, we clothe and we protect that. You know, but what if humankind did not have reproductive organ, organs to worry about? What if we didn't have those? You know, we, we think, well, that maybe, you know, we could still survive. We could still live. The only problem is, is you might be able to live your life, but how are you going to reproduce? How is the, how is the body, how is the human race going to survive not being able to reproduce itself? You see, even though it might be less dignified, it might be something that we clothe and we cover and we don't normally see, it is vitally important for the survival of the human race that we're able to reproduce. And the same is true for the church. There are some gifts we don't normally see. Some gifts we don't elevate, we don't look at and see, oh, isn't that wonderful? But those gifts, if left unused, will mean the death of the church. So I believe this is a major reason why Satan has had so many victories in our lives and even in churches. Why leader after leader has fallen, church doors have closed their doors in failure. It's because their bodies, their organizations were sick. They were unhealthy. People weren't walking in the Spirit and using all of their gifts to advance on enemy territory. I believe many churches have relied on those one or two gifts to thrive, but instead of thriving, they either withered and died or they just built large organizations deficient of any real spiritual health. You can go to a big church, but realize that they're just broken too and struggling. Their people continue to live on, but live on oppressed by the devil and defeated under the deception that because they attend a large church that they have it all together. You see, the gathering of the church is not about fulfilling a religious duty. And this has been my experience, learning what the church gathering is really about. Many of us, we, we believe in God, we trust in God, and the first thing we think of is, oh, I, I'm a Christian now, I gotta go to church. But the gathering of the church is not about fulfilling a religious duty. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return and drawing near. The point of us getting together on Sunday, the point of the church gathering each week is to be encouraged, is to help one another because we are all in a battle. We are all in the fight for our lives. And as we live our lives, when we face these struggles and these battles, it's easy to get discouraged. But when you walk in your gifts, and I walk in mine, all of us can be encouraged. We can be recharged to march back out onto the battle the next day with new zeal and new fervor. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. 
Paul says to the church, he says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Here, Paul depicts a church that's not comprised of just one or two people doing the ministry and other people spectating. No, he's describing a church where everyone corporately has come together to use their gifts. And he continues through the chapter to stress that there should be an order in the worship gathering, that, that God is a God of decency and order, but the emphasis is on everyone coming together to minister, not just the pastor. The church is not and never should be a one-man show. Each of us should be walking in the Spirit, using our gifts to strengthen and encourage the church, recognizing that we're in this fight together. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, Peter tells the church, he says, God's given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. God's will for you is not to sit and soak, but to stand and serve. Your coming here today is less about your attendance and more about the importance of your presence to the health of the church. Yes, you matter to God personally. You matter. You have value. He died for your soul. But you also matter to the church. We need your gift. We need you to use your gift to strengthen and encourage us as we use ours to strengthen and encourage you. Paul to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 stresses that we need especially what is called the gift of revelation or prophecy. This is what Christians call the prophetic word. In verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they'll think you're all crazy. But if you were all prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall on their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. And if you skip to verse 39, he says, So dear my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure everything is done properly and in order. The gift of prophecy is this gift that will edify both believer and non-believer. Wayne Grudem in his book entitled The Gift of Prophecy declares that prophecy is the gift or the sign of God's blessing on a church. In a vertical life church, we desire to receive all the blessing that God has in store. We covet the favor of God in all that we can acquire. And so we should all desire to pursue the gifting of prophetic word. And Wayne Grudem, he articulates in his book what prophecy is, and especially if you've not been around church for a long time, you might be like, well, what is this? Based on what we can understand from Scripture and from uh, the different writers in the New Testament, prophecy, first and foremost, number one, encourages and strengthens the church and never tears it down. It's not divisive, it's not contentious, and it's not preferential. It's not about, well, let me stand and say this is of God, and I'm going to talk about why the carpet's not the color that God wants. It's, it's not preferential. It's a word of revelation from God meant to build in faith or build up the faith of those in attendance. It's a spontaneous prompting of the Holy Spirit or a word spoken to the mind and heart with the intent to benefit all who are there. And number five, it's scripturally sound. The Holy Spirit's not going to contradict the word of God. Biblically, this can also have future implications like warnings and, and, and signs that God intends for the church to be mindful of, as well as it be personally applicable to those in attendance. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a church service? And it, it may have already happened now. Uh, you're in a church service, you're listening to the message, and then all of a sudden, something just hits you and you're like, man, that's really connecting with me. But I wish the guy would have said this. Because I know I'm not the only one here that needs to hear that. Has anybody had that happen? Right? 
you're like, man, that was good, but I really think the church needed to hear this. You know, and and I'm not talking about, you know, the fact that you found out through gossip before service that somebody was having an affair, and you wanted to stand up and say, I think God's telling me someone's having an affair, and I think they kind of over in this area. No, we're, we're not talking about outing people and calling it spiritual. We're talking about how the Holy Spirit just comes upon you and says, this is something the church needs to hear. There's somebody in the church struggling with their faith today, and this is going to build their faith There's somebody who's walking in at the edge of their seat ready to turn their back on God and they need to hear this encouraging word because they'll connect with them and it will restore what they're struggling with. This is a directive of the Holy Spirit that needs to be spoken because he alone knows what's happening in the hearts and minds of everyone here. There's not a person here who has the opportunity to interview everyone before service. There's no way we could all know what's going on in our hearts and lives, but God knows. And Paul tells the church that even when unbelievers come into the church and they hear us begin to prophesy and declare these words, that they will be so convicted and and their eyes will be open, seeing the power of God at work in the church, that even they will turn and give faith and glory to Jesus Christ. See, some of you here have this gift, and you didn't even know it. It's been operating within you, but it's been stifled because of the way America does church, the way we've done church historically. And we've done this, and I know many pastors who are afraid of setting up a microphone down at the front of the service because they're afraid of what people might come up and say as if someone's going to ramble on incoherently and take us till 3 o'clock in the afternoon talking about how their toe fungus manifested in, in their dreams three days ago. And how it's just unrelated. It's in, or they might say something incorrect, and now they're going to have a theological problem. They're going to have to do a six-week sermon series on debunking the thing that... Sister so-and-so just said from the microphone. But I think the reason why we don't program the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to just work as he desires to edify and to build us up, he gave me this word this week, is because I believe as modern American Christians, the reality is we're more hungry for the menu at McDonald's than we are at the menu at the Lord's table. We are more hungry for the menu at McDonald's than we are for the menu at the Lord's table. If we were hungry for God, we wouldn't care if it was 5 o'clock. We'd stay here until he was done working. We check the time, we're like, ah, oh, it's 12 o'clock. You see, the Spirit gives us these gifts to empower us to do battle personally, to build our faith, to build the faith in our own lives, but then for also for us to do battle for one another. For a brother or sister who's weak and struggling and and, and being overcome or seems to be overrun. He gives us these gifts so that we can walk in step with one another in echelon formation together against the enemy. These are the weapons that have been given to the church. And it's time we start using them to strengthen and build the church and go to war for each other. So we begin to close Luke chapter 10 Jesus confers his authority on 72 of his disciples, and he sends them out to do battle against the enemy. In Luke chapter 10, verse 3, here's what Jesus says. He says, now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. And in verse, chapter, or verse 9 of the same chapter, he tells them, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. He gave them authority. He empowered them to go use their gifts out into the world, to use them together, to strengthen and build each other up, but then use them to demonstrate the truth of the gospel. And as they were proclaiming the kingdom of God is near, they were healing the sick, they were casting out devils, they were performing miracles and signs and wonders. And after they had been from town to town, a few days later, a week or so, they came back to report in chapter 10, verse 17, it says... When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. We read this verse last week talking about who we are in Christ and what it means to be a Christian, to be an adopted son or daughter of the Most High God. But I don't want to focus on that this week. As we bring this message to a close, I want to focus on what just happened. 
What Jesus said happened while his followers were walking in his authority, using their gifts as they ministered together. In verse 18, this is what Jesus said. He said, I saw Satan fall down from heaven like lightning. Now first, lightning is really fast. Have you ever tried to like just watch lightning happen and, and by the time it flashes, it's already gone, right? It's here and gone so fast. And the reality with the speed of light is that you're not even seeing lightning when it happens. It's already gone before you've seen it. That's how fast lightning is traveling. And here Jesus said that Satan fell down from heaven like lightning. And the reason why this is significant is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul talking to the church of Ephesus, he gives Satan a very specific name. He says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And that phrase, powers in the unseen world, in the original language is literally translated prince and power of the air. That's how it's translated word for word in the English. And the word for air there literally means particularly the lower and denser air as distinguished from the higher or rarer air. In other words, the atmospheric region or the sky. So Jesus is saying, I saw Satan fall down from lightning from the sky. You see, Satan is also called the God of this world. And if you know about his fall and his, his arrogance and his pride, he said that he wanted to ascend up into heaven and be like the Most High, to raise his throne even above God's. He wanted to be worshipped like the Almighty God. And so we see a picture of what's happening here is that Satan, who is the God of this world, stole the keys of the kingdom from Adam when he sinned against God. He's now ruling over his territory. He has elevated his throne into the sky because he wants to look down in arrogance and pride and see all that he surveys. Satan is looking down and saying, ah, look what is mine. Look what I have been able to accrue for myself. As the God of this world, he wants to reign above his kingdom like God reigns above creation. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. That word heaven is oranos, which literally means the sky. So Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, the power of the sky, has now fallen from the sky. And what I find to be a powerful truth what we see here in the testimony of Jesus is that when his followers walk in his authority, using his gifts and battle against the enemy, Satan is dethroned, and he's dethroned pretty dang fast. He's dethroned at lightning speed. This is why it's vital that we don't just pray for each other in the cover of the quiet cover of our own homes and in our own prayer closets, but why, why it's important that we pray for each other in the spirit. We get together when we see someone struggling, that we lay hands on each other, and we take authority over the demons that they're wrestling with, praying prayers of faith over them with the authority of the name of Jesus, praying for healing those that are struggling with, with health problems, as we serve one another in his power, as we teach in his inspiration, as we prophesy with his encouraging declarations, and we discern between the spirits to overthrow their works, as we walk in his wisdom to guide each other on the true path to the rich and satisfying life, I believe we're going to see more ground taken back from the kingdom of the enemy in the name of Jesus. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see signs. We're going to see wonders. We're going to see the things we've dreamt about experiencing in the scripture. You know, something that's been on my heart for a long time, something I really believe God wants for our church is to make our response times at the end of our services more intentional. Yes, we want to provide people opportunity to be saved. We'll continue to give the gospel and provide people opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you before you leave to come see me. Let me introduce you to the one who will make all the difference in your life. We want people to be able to come forward for prayer and, and to be prayed for, to pray with one another and pray about the things that are in their heart and their life. But especially, I believe God wants us to open up our services to let him just work to allow the prophetic word to be spoken over our church. And so going forward, the end of our services, we'll have a microphone down here. And I believe the Spirit of God is going to begin working powerfully in our services as he lays on your heart to use your gifts 
for the church. And again, just a reminder, the microphone down here is for encouraging the body to strengthen. Paul said, when we use our gifts, they are to strengthen the church, not tear it down. So we need to guard against our flesh and the things the enemy would want to bring in to bring uh, discord. But primarily, we'll have this microphone available for those who have a message from God on their hearts to come down and share and build up the body. Everyone should be asking themselves, what can I do and what am I doing in this fight for our lives to help encourage and strengthen the church? And as we begin taking steps of faith to discover and foster our gifts for the benefit of the church, we need to continue to encourage each other on that path. But just before we wrap things up, I thought we'd do something a little different today. I'm going to close our service by bringing my beautiful wife on the stage. If you want to come here. Now, a funny story. Uh, there was a comedian. Um, you can see here, good. There's a comedian that uh, got up at one of the conferences that we were at, and he said, why is it that every time a pastor brings his wife on stage, he introduces her as his smoking hot wife? And he says, don't you understand the awkward position that puts all the men in the church? He's like, because if you agree, then everyone looks at you like a perv. But if you don't agree, then you're like, so what, you don't think my wife's smoking hot? Right? So I'm going to introduce her to you as my beautiful wife. Therefore, you can agree and not, um, you know, be ashamed, guys. But I still think she's smoking hot. So, um, you know, we'll do that. But uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to... We've prepared a couple of questions that I, I'm sure some of you are just have been thinking through this series. And not many people have the courage to really ask and be like, you know, I've always wondered about that or I didn't really know about that, but I'd like to know, um, you know more about that subject. Uh, because honestly, this is, this is new territory for Tony and I. We've been uh, traditionally raised in the church. We've been Baptists. I mean, everything from skirt-wearing churches to, to more contemporary. So we've seen the gamut. Um, and... And we've gone through this path not because we just started listening to somebody that sounded good. This has been a journey the Holy Spirit has taken us on um, for, for a long time now. And really the last six or seven months has really begun to open a whole new world to us as far as um, communing with the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, uh, spiritual warfare, which we call the ministry of deliverance. And so um, we're going to ask each other some questions and, and uh, um, allow you to hear the responses, and maybe that will answer some questions for you. And then I just encourage you, if you have questions, come in and talk with us and, uh, and ask, and we'd love to, to share what God's been doing in our lives and, and help you and encourage you in your spiritual journey. So first question is for Tony, um, because ladies go first. Um, tell us, what has been the most enlightening thing you've learned in this process of understanding and now walking in what we call deliverance ministry or spiritual warfare. Okay, I just want to start by saying, like, my heart is racing. I can sing all day, but talking is new and different, so I'm nervous. But I know you guys love me, so it's okay. But um, I think the most enlightening thing that I've learned in learning about, I mean, I guess I've always been familiar with the term spiritual warfare, um, relatively, I, I didn't really know how to apply it. You know, I knew I had the Holy Spirit. I knew he was in me. But um, I didn't know how to go about it, really. I guess I didn't have any training or instruction on that. And so the most enlightening thing I have learned and discovered based on Scripture is that deliverance ministry is a Christian's ministry. It's not just for ministers of the church. It's for every Christian. Um, the Bible says in James 5.16, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And then right after that says, because the fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power. Well, we're confessing our sins that we may be healed. That reveals that there's something behind whatever is um, impairing us, either physically or emotionally. And so that when we confess those things, our sins or whatever's behind that sin can be exposed and a righteous person can pray over us and it has great power and we could be healed in Jesus' name. So it doesn't say just confess your sins to a pastor or some prominent speaker. It says one to another. Um, Jesus also says in John that anyone who believes in me will do the works that I have done and even greater. And we all know that. If you've been churched at all, you're familiar with that passage. But we never knew how to apply it. I guess in my own life, I would sit there and be like, well, I know it's true because it's in the Bible, but why am I not seeing this um, in my own life, I guess, or in the churches I grew up in? And so 
he didn't say just for people who are called to full-time ministry and that that's going to be their primary focus in life. He said anyone. And Jesus went around preaching and praying over people and healing them and casting out evil spirits. And so um, I think it's just, it's a Christian's ministry. It's part of being a Christian. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jesus said in Mark, his parting words were, these are the signs that will follow those that believe. It says they will cast out devils. They will lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. So this isn't just something that a certain group of people, this is the ministry of the church. This is 1 Corinthians 12 in action. God wants to use the church and use the power of the Holy Spirit to not only strengthen us as a body, but then use us as a great light and hope to the world. That's, that's awesome. Okay, I have questions for you. I almost forgot. All right. Um, my first question for you was, you know, this idea or this concept, facet of ministry, of deliverance ministry, just kind of fell into our laps. I don't, like you said, the Holy Spirit's been taking us on a journey. We weren't looking for it. It just kind of came to us. Why do you think God brought that up at this time for us in, in general? Why sure. do you think he made that known? Um, well, two things. One, I think that we weren't in a place spiritually in our own lives. Uh, in our, I mean, we've got four kids, love them to death, but they drive us nuts. And uh, a lot of busyness, um, even dealing with some spiritual issues in our own lives. We just weren't spiritually ready for it. Um, and so I think God had to take us through a season to kind of break down some of the, the things that were holding us back before we were ready for that. And then two, I really believe the church is in the last days. And in the last days, Scripture says demonic activity is going to increase. Just read uh, 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 2 or 3 where Paul talks about the last days and all of the sin that's going to be exponentially increased and the demonic activity that's going to be increased. I believe he's raising the church up for such a time as this. And he's saying it's time for people to stop playing church. It's not about being religious. It's about a relationship with God. Uh, a couple of sermons ago, we talked about Paul. His, uh, his word was the kingdom of God is not a lot of talk, but it's by living by God's power. So we can talk about church all day long. We can talk about what the Bible says, but it's living by the power of God that makes it real. And so when you take that to heart, be like, am I living by the power of God? And when he began to open that up to us and we began to see, I think it was then that we were ready uh, for that, but definitely isn't anything about us being cool or special or knowledgeable. This is all, all him. Um, second thing I have for you is how have you applied spiritual warfare personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I guess in my own life, it has helped me differentiate between who I am truly in Christ because the Bible says um, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that the old has passed away, all things have become new. We are new creations in Christ. So my sinful attitudes and struggles and things that I deal with, like I'm impatient or critical or um, things that I would have identified in the past, that's just how I am. I mean, knowing that they're, they're wrong, but not really recognizing that they're and this is, this is ridiculous, too, because I've grown up knowing the same scripture, that Ephesians 6.12. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, and Joey has said that a million times in, in this series, but we wrestle against um, principalities and powers and um, sp- the spiritual world. So differentiating between who I am in Christ, who God says I am, and that these sins, these things that I struggle with, they are not me in any sense. They are not me. And in my family and the people I love and the things that I, I, I see in their life, that's not them. Um, I don't just have a stubborn child. My child is wrestling with a spirit of stubbornness. That's not who they are in Christ. They've accepted the Holy Spirit um, to live in them. And so even down to these attitudes that we just think, that's just how I am. And knowing now that, you know, I have the authority in the Holy Spirit to combat those things, to combat the spirit of anger or um, the spirit of criticism, that that's not who I am. And to be able to just identify that, you know, Jesus says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, that's who I am in Christ. That's who the Holy yeah. Spirit is in me. And anything outside of that, any sinful thing outside of that, that's not who I am. That's not who God says I am. Right. Yeah, I think for me, too, personally, it's taught me how to pray. Yeah, you know, definitely. Be, before I'd be like, okay, God, bless this person, bless this person. And, right. I, and I grew up, you know, we've all been in those prayer services where you know, they give prayer requests. And, you know, there's about 20 prayer requests given and one person's called to pray. And so we do the carte blanche prayer. God, you know the needs. You know what's going on. We trust you. Yeah. Go and do it. In Jesus' name. 
You know, it, you know that's just kind of had been the way, you know, we call these drive-through prayers, right? So being able to say, no, God, they're struggling with this. Yeah. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And I come against that with all the authority in the name of Christ and, and be able to do that, what's called intercessory prayer now. And, and to see, and man, it changes things. It's and also powerful. I think for me personally, realizing my own need for deliverance, yeah. um, everyone, I mean, and, and, you know, I'm not sitting here with some major addiction or something quite obvious. Like, we would sit in church and be like, well, I'm not like that person. You know, I praise God. But I do have, I, I do need deliverance from different things like attitudes down to the way that I operate as a wife and a mom and as a Christian. And, and so I think we don't recognize that a lot. We just look at the big sins and say, well, I'm good to go. And I, I felt that, like, you know, last week when you were preaching and you were talking about all these big things. And, she had a prophecy. And I was like, you know, what about the spirit of criticism or gossip that we find in our hearts that, you know, we just can't seem to shut our mouths when information comes out and we shouldn't share it? Or um, these negative attitudes we just carry around. You know, those are not of God. So they're not of God. And the Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. They are from the enemy, and we have authority in Jesus' name to cast those out and to not let those things rule our life. I mean, we were doing Simone personal deliverance over our home last night. Just stuff kept happening and, yeah. and within us. You know, I, I'll be honest. Um, I was just ridden with fear last night going to bed, and that's something I struggled with growing up. Um, I was scared all the time at night, and uh, we had a church service where we had a guy come in, and the church prayed. We had, the, like, the church prayed over each other and people prayed over me for night terrors or whatever and and since that time I'm not scared at night anymore well last night I was feeling fearful and I told Joey I said I'm scared let's pray and you know we got on our knees and we we went to battle yeah and we cast out all spirits of fear in Jesus name and declared what our home is in Jesus Christ and I was able to sleep soundly and so that's what I mean by personal deliverance too praise God Okay, um, next question for you. <laughs> so, upon recognizing the prominence of evil spirits' presence in operation, in even Christians, what do you say to the believer that feels intimidated or overwhelmed or just kind of taken back by this revelation or this thought? Yeah, um, join the club first and foremost. Um, you know, that, that is a thing. You know, when, you know, our culture and society have caused us to think of evil spirits as this big scary thing. Our horror films are very popular and, and everything having to do with the demonic is this super scary thing. But I will tell you that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right? So when we're dealing with the demonic, it's less fearful at it than it is logical. It's like, okay, here's how the, the person's in operation. Here's what's in operation in them. I don't have to be afraid of that because I have authority over that. And, and so we have to retrain our minds from fearing the enemy because that's his tactic. That's all he has. Uh, I heard someone once say that, uh, that the way Satan works is he uses fear to get you to be deceived, to deceive you. And the way he does this is he will implant thoughts in your mind that are not your own, but he gets you to believe they're your own. And then he sham, like, jams guilt and fear and all these other things, shame into your mind for the fact that you had those thoughts. I'll give you an example. All right, right now, I want somebody, actually all of you, to stand to your feet, come up here, and punch me as hard as you can in the face. Right now. Just stand up. Right now. Right where you are. Punch me in the face. No takers? But how dare you for thinking about it? Who do you think you are? You call yourself a Christian? You're probably going to go to hell. You're not worthy. You see how that works? I gave you the thought, but then I shamed you for having it. It's the way the enemy works. So he implants fear. He plants these things in our minds, and then he shames us to get us trapped in this, this inability to walk in faith and understand who we are. But when we're aware of his devices, when we know how he works, we're able to rise above that and take authority. So when I begin feeling anxiety or depression, I'm thinking, that's not me. That's the enemy. He's coming against me. I'm going to rise above that in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to continue to pray against that until I see deliverance because I'm assured through Christ, I have victory. I mean, the, you said right there in Luke chapter 10, they obey you. Right. And it's not always 
It's not always right away yeah. either. You just have to stay faithful and, and trusting and believing God. I think of the verse a lot that the sorrow may last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. morning. Yeah. There will be yeah. freedom or deliverance from that particular thing. In the passage you mentioned just about confessing your sins to one another, that the fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power. James continues right after that. He mentions Elijah. He said, yeah. remember how Elijah prayed for the rain, but mm -hmm. after three, three years it hadn't rained, so he prayed for the rain and then rain came. Well, if you go back to that story, he said that he went to a mountaintop and he prayed, and then he would send his, his uh, servant out to see if God was bringing rain upon the sea, and there was no rain. He had to go back and forth and do this seven times. He continued to do it until he saw the cloud. And we often short, uh, fall short of that seventh prayer. We stop on six. We're like, oh, I prayed, and I haven't seen any victory, so I guess God either isn't listening or it doesn't work. And I know that's been me and that's personally been me too. a lot. But learning, like, no, the faith is built in the process. So you continue on. You keep praying. You keep struggling through. You keep trusting God. And God will follow through every time. He's faithful. He's never failing. His love never fails. His word never fails. It's true. And learning that helps you see who you are in Christ. And it gives you a confidence to, you know, you don't have to worry about the enemy. You don't and have like to be saying, afraid. Yeah, exactly. I think we need to keep the focus on Jesus yeah. and his power and not on what all these evil yeah. spirits are going to do. Like, stay focused on Jesus. That's the healthy yeah. place to be, healthy mindset. For sure. Uh, last question I have for you, babe, is because of your traditional background and the backgrounds we've grown up, how could you encourage others who might be from a similar experience to open their hearts to going deeper in the relationship with God and to uh, take steps not only to discover the gifts of the Spirit that they have, but then also begin using them to minister to other people? Yeah, I think it's a simple concept, but I think it's, it's obviously difficult to carry out sometimes. I think, one, um, start taking the Word of God for truth at, at what it says. I mean, um, I mean, Joey just read several passages of Scripture that I had already written down. I didn't know he was going to read it from 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 about the spiritual gifts. And again, growing up in, in what I would label my traditional background, we didn't see these gifts manifest. We didn't see them on display. I mean, if people had them, yeah. they pretty much kept them hidden. Um, never saw people speaking in tongues or any interpretation like the Bible talks about or someone standing up to prophesy. I mean, it was just unheard of. And so the Bible talks about it. Um, Paul specifically lays out, I mean, all of these gifts. And no, not everyone's going to do that, but um, it's, it's in there. So the second thing I would say is um, begin the process of seeking the Holy Spirit yeah. and asking him. God wants this for us, right? He wants the church to be whole. He wants us to have a healthy body. He wants um, the members to know what their gifts are and to use them. So ask the Holy Spirit. Ask him to fill you and then ask him to um, reveal the gifts that he has for you. Um, Paul even says that we should ask for these gifts yes. earnestly yes. before the Lord. And um, so seek the gifts and then step out in faith because it's not going to feel like this huge beam of light, you know, in front of you. And you're like, oh, I get it. It's going to be very subtle. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit, he whispers sometimes. You know his voice. You've heard him. He speaks to your spirit, not to your mind. And so it's just this knowing or this voice in your spirit and trusting that. And I know a lot of times I've been like, oh, that's just me, never mind, and disobeyed God. But the times that I have stepped out in faith and obedience, and I've said, you know, the spirit is telling me this, and seeing, you know, wow, that's the truth, you know, my faith has grown because of it. That's how we grow our faith. We have to step out in faith, and our faith will grow when we see that God is, is working in that situation. Yeah, uh, Paul told Timothy to fan into flame the gift that he received. You know, so you don't become an expert the minute you're gifted. Yeah. You know, it takes a process. And again, it's a faith thing. As you grow in faith, so will your gift. And I remember, uh, you know, we were at, at that service, and, and we were prayed for by a few that we would we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. And I remember standing next to my wife. I mean, I just feel like God on us. Like, there's times where you just feel overwhelmed by his presence. Mm -hmm. And here my wife starts you know, speaking in tongues and, and breaking out. And she doesn't even really know what she's doing. Even after we talk about it, she's like, I don't, I don't know, was I doing that? I don't even know. And, and here I'm like, I should be doing this. I feel like I should be doing this, but I didn't. And, and it took 
months and months and months for me to say, God, what is this? Am, am I filled? Am I not? Is this my gift? Is this not? And begin taking little steps, like, well, steps of faith like, well, I'm just going to start walking in this and you tell me if I'm messing it up. You know? And it just begins to grow and you begin more confident and you get to see God work um, in that. So. And the Holy Spirit is never going to overtake you and no. make you do anything. This no. is obviously, it's God. So no. it's, you it's work up in step. to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's a definitely. cooperation for sure. Um, and I have one more question for you. So you just said it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is this even a biblical concept? Is it in the Bible? And then if so, or the filling of the Holy Spirit, I would say, um, how is that different then between the baptism of the Spirit different than receiving God's Spirit of, at salvation? Is there a difference? Sure, absolutely. And I have to set this up by saying it. In, growing up in a, a traditional Baptist church, uh, we were taught that you receive the Holy Spirit and everything that is offered at one at the same time. You receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Spirit, and, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then when we made fun of the charismatic or Pentecostal church down the road, we were talking about the Holy Rollers and, and uh, you know, all the things that they do and, and how they would um, talk about the baptism of the Spirit being the second work of grace, almost like a, a, a second salvation or a, or a higher uh, you know, righteousness that until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not as Christian as everybody else. And mm -hmm. so there's this really negative uh, tone around it. However, um, it's amazing what you learn when you just read the Bible. I mean, and I would encourage you, I mean, I, my, my, part of my job is to teach, right? But don't take my word for it. Go read the Bible. You know, that you learn a lot just from reading the Scripture. And ask the Holy Spirit to yeah, teach you. Yeah, and ask the Holy Spirit. That's His job. And, uh, and that's kind of been what's propelled us on this journey. And, and so when I read the Bible and I see, you know, John is baptizing people with water. And he makes a statement. He says, you know, I baptize with water, but there will be one who comes that will baptize you with fire and of the Holy Spirit. So the term baptism of the Holy Spirit is biblical. It's right there in the Scripture. Then we see how even after Jesus died and rose again, he commanded his disciples to carry on the water baptism, to be baptized people with water as an evidence of a public profession of faith. But yet there was something else that they were missing. They had all been baptized, but he had told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll receive that power to become his witnesses. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost. Um, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. All through the book of Acts, you see uh, G, uh, the disciples encountered John the Baptist's disciples. They believed in Christ. They were baptized in Christ. But they hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. So the disciples laid hands on them to pray for them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying and received the baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit. And you can see this all the way through the church age, even into the epistles of Ephesus and, and Peter. And so there is what I would call a second encounter you're not any more saved or any less saved if you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit. But you do go from a point where you're a believer in Christ to being a filled believer in Christ. You know, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine where it's in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means that it's an option. There's, a, there's, a, there's something else that you can have an experience with. So when you become a Christian and you give your life to Christ, the scripture is very clear. The Holy Spirit takes root in your heart, seals you with salvation. You can never be uh, left or forsaken by God. Nothing can separate you from his love. You are saved. But as you as a believer grow in your relationship with God and you pursue the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can be endowed with his power and that's where the gifts begin to manifest in your life. And, and for many, you know, it starts with speaking in tongues and then prophesying or, or in the like. But he gives uh, the different gifts as he determines. And it's, and very, that it's very simple. It, yeah. Like the Bible says, uh, Paul's urging the church, ask. Yeah. Ask God. And um, ask him to fill you. And, you know, even in our prayers, we say that commonly. Fill yeah. us with your Holy Spirit. Well, it yeah. doesn't mean we don't already have the Holy Spirit um, sealing our, our spirits and yeah. our souls. But fill us up, God. And that's what it is. It's yeah. a filling. We don't want any room for anything else. Right. We want all God. All and Holy for Spirit. that to happen, we yeah. have to get out all the other stuff yeah. that's in there. And it's a constant process. It's yeah. daily, you know, making sure that you're cleaning the temple. Right. You know? For sure. <laughs> All right, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to be dismissed, and we will see you guys again next week, all right? Father in heaven, we just lift you up. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you for the truth. God, and we just come against every spiritual attack that is coming against us right now. Um, even those right here that I know, I've been in services, I've been in that place even 10 years ago, where I would have heard these things, and I would have been so disturbed in my spirit. 
because of the religious spirits that I had in my own heart, spirits of legalism and, and, uh, and the like, God. So I just pray against every attack, and I pray, Father, that you would break down these strongholds. We wage the weapons of warfare that break down every stronghold of human reasoning and everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We tear that down right now, God. And as a church, we open our hearts and minds to you to be filled with your presence, your Holy Spirit. God, I just pray for those here that have yet to be uh, taken that next step and have pursued your presence, God, and be filled with power. God, that they would begin that journey and that desire, desire, earnest desire to be filled with your presence so they can receive the power that they need to live victorious in their lives. God, we all have been given authority as sons and daughters of the Most High God to live free through Jesus' name and through the blood that he shed, God. And so I just pray that as a church, we would be seeking you, and God, that we would come back week after week, not so that we can be fed or, or, or become spiritually fat, God, but because we can serve and encourage each other and together be a whole and healthy body. And God, we can take what is done here out into the streets and see people who are lost in darkness come to glorious faith in Jesus Christ, because that is what it's about. It's not about how cool we are with what you can do through us. It's about who we are in Jesus and the fact that he died so that people can be saved. It's about the message of the gospel. It's about the truth of your word. And it's about how one day you're going to return and you're going to set all things right again. But until that day, you've given us a mission to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we just submit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you, church.